evidently expecting to find Jesus' corpse, some of the women among his followers go to the tomb with embalming spices. After a perplexing encounter with the empty tomb and angelic visitors, the women become the first to proclaim the amazing news of resurrection. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Either response is good. Each of our Gospel writers gives us an account of this wondrous happening each featuring Mary Magdalene, the first apostle called to proclaim, he is risen. And this year we get two accounts from Luke's writer on this Resurrection Sunday. First, in written order, not this morning's reading order, Luke writes Mary Magdalene as part of a group of women followers going to Jesus' tomb the morning after the Sabbath to anoint his body for burial. But when they get there, the stone probably more boulder-like, is rolled out of the way, and the body is missing. Suddenly, two men in dazzling white clothes are beside them, and these men are asking cryptic questions. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Weren't you paying attention? He said all the way back in Galilee that this would happen, that he would be handed over, crucified, and on the third day rise again. The women run back to the 11 who remain of the original 12 and tell them what has happened. But they are not believed. Not because they are women, like we are often told, because, you know, who would believe anything women say? They don't believe because what these women are telling them is just unbelievable. Absurd, even. Some of the men had actually joined the crowds, if covertly and only for a moment, at the cross. They, they knew he had died. They had been told Joseph of Arimathea had laid him in a fresh tomb, because how else would the women have known where to go to prepare his body? They didn't believe, because it just doesn't make sense. 
And it's too good of an ending to be true. Because they had never quite got what Jesus was talking about when he told them exactly what was going to happen. And don't we, too, hear and don't believe? Don't comprehend incredible things told to us? Are there not times when we are told amazing things that we just don't quite grasp because it's too wonderful or too bizarre to be real? But it is. It is true. Now, of course, I'm going to take a moment and point out that the women who did stay close to the cross without hiding, watching and waiting through Jesus' last agonizing breath, they believed and proclaimed without seeing the risen Jesus. They believed the words of the strange men in dazzlingly bright clothes who told them Jesus lives again. Immediately following today's gospel portion, still in the Gospel of Luke, is the road to Emmaus story. When two of the disciples that evening are walking to the town of Emmaus and they are joined by a stranger who asks them what they were talking about as he, as he walked up. And they say, are you the only one who doesn't know what's been happening? And they fill in this stranger as they're walking even reporting that some of the women had gone to dress his body and returned with an absurd tale that Jesus lives again. Some of the men in their group had gone to the tomb, found it exactly as the women had said, but no Jesus. They continue walking and talking together, the stranger revealing scripture to them. They near the town and invite the stranger to stay with them for dinner. When they eat, the stranger breaks the bread and they know it is Jesus that has been walking and talking with them. And then in the blink of an eye, Jesus disappears. Confirming with one another that yes, they did just see and hear what they just saw and heard, they return to Jerusalem without hesitation, find the eleven and report it to them. Simon Peter too has also seen a vision of the Lord. Multiple accounts in the same day. It must be true, this unbelievable thing. In his follow-up to the gospel, Luke's writer records the acts of the apostle. The story continues after Jesus has risen and ascended. For the rest of the Easter season, we will read from Acts, telling the stories of the early church as they worked together to share the good news and to figure out their stuff as they are emerging as something new and different from Judaism. Like Peter's witness story today at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius was an officer of the Roman army in charge of several hundred soldiers. He is described early in Acts 10th chapter as devout and God-fearing, meaning that though he is a Gentile, he adheres to Jewish ideas and practices. One afternoon nap, Cornelius receives a vision from God in a dream, telling him to send for Simon, called Peter. Peter, likewise, has a vision from God the next day, the one about eating clean and unclean animals. He comes out of his trance to greet the men that Cornelius has sent, and the next day he is at Cornelius' home, where he shares his witness testimony on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
Again, our lectionary cuts the story short, and given the chapter 10 catch-up I just recited, starts it short too. Anyway, as Peter is speaking to Cornelius and his household, which would include not just the nuclear family we imagine today, but also the extended family, the household staff and the slaves. As Peter is giving an account of Jesus's life, baptism, teachings, healings, his death, his resurrection, and the things he did before ascending. As he is saying all of this, the Holy Spirit falls upon the Cornelius assembly and they begin to speak in tongues and praise God. Well, this is quite the surprise to Peter and his fellow Jews around them. And Peter orders water for Cornelius and his household to be baptized because it cannot be withheld from those who have received the Holy Spirit as we have. That is how powerful this story is. This is the first conversion of a Gentile or group of Gentiles to the way, to following Jesus to the new religion that will emerge out of Judaism. Sometimes it is easy to believe this absurdly wonderful resurrection story, to trust in the promises of new life. And sometimes not so much, because it's just too strange. Yet the story is so compelling that we are gathered to hear it over and over. It has been nearly 2,000 years, and we still come together to hear and to confess that even in moments of disbelief, like that of the 11, or moments of ultimate belief, like Mary Magdalene and the other women at the empty tomb, or Cornelius and his household, we confess that Jesus of Nazareth lived, taught, and healed, was handed over for execution by the state, and that he is now risen. Alleluia. Thanks be to God. Amen.